This is Keeping Curious, the Genius Shared podcast where each week Liz Strauss or Jane Boyd meets with host Gigi Peterkin to discuss business, life, and all things Genius Shared. Hi everyone. Hi Liz. It's great to be back talking to you again this week. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing great and it's nice to have you back inside my head. Thank you. Thanks for letting me back inside your head. Um, we got to talk a little bit last time about uh, the book, Anything You Put Your Mind To, and there were a few questions that you know I didn't quite get to in our short time together, and I'm hoping you'll indulge me again this week. Um, I really like the title, and I like that there's a little bit of ambiguity to it. Um, tell me how you came up with it. I mean, I know it wasn't the original title as you mentioned before. So how did you guys land on anything you put your mind to? Was this a group effort or all you? No, it was probably a given that nobody was going to get to title this book um, but me because it it meant a lot to me. It was pretty close to my heart Um, just because it had so much um, stories of of life that I like to tell in it, and it had been living in my computer for so long. You know, originally it was called Larry and the Dog, um, because Larry and the Dog are the two characters who show up in my head uninvited. Um, But, you know, as soon as we began to understand the internet, and around the time that, you know, Terry said to me around 2010, you really need to publish that book. Um, uh, you know, you you can't name a book Larry and the Dog and not have issues with SEO that every time somebody Googles it, they get a guy in a pickup truck with his dog on the seat behind him, and the guy's name is Larry. Yeah, and um, which is not to say it doesn't have that issue even now with the title, Anything You Put Your Mind To, but it's a little less. Um, and so my my son Eric, I don't think I've told you this before that um, in when we when we first took the book out of the drawer and and started talking about it again with people, he thought I needed to use um, what he called the Kubrick um, algorithm, and you know so it was like instead of Clockwork Orange, I should call it Canine Indigo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he still believes, you know, that I should have called it Canine Indigo. Canine Indigo, wow. Um, because, you know, Indigo is a color that plays in the book, you know, and, and there is a dog. And there is a dog. And um, and I suppose so, but um, I, I used to work for a guy who was not only a, a phenomenal... Um, president and CEO, he was, uh, uh, knew more about marketing than anybody I ever met, and he always said, call it what it is. Uh, unfortunately, there's no way to call this what it is, because um, there isn't a category for what it is. But um, the issue then, as we looked for finding a title, was... Um, um, and to give my son credit, he came back and said, all right, if you're not going to call it canine indigo, what is the problem this solves? Mm, good question, Eric. And um, 
And I would put problems in front of him and, and come up with titles. And, and one of the titles, before he asked me that question that we had, I had thought about in my clever sort of shipping news kind of title was uh, thinking about not thinking. And and he, he made some comment like, well, that makes me think it's going to be, you know, um, uh, uh, a Stephen Covey kind of book, you know, <laughs> you know, find it, find it in the business and productivity books. And, and there's the business book that everybody wants, but not. Yeah, <laughs> but anything you put your mind to sort of has that as well. So a lot of the weight had to fall to the tagline mm -hmm. um, to explain the idea that the cover of the book is critically important, um, the cover, the title, the tagline um, are critically important, even the table of contents, but, the, you know, they make a promise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody um, has had the experience, though they may not have labeled it as such, where they bought something that they thought was one thing and they got it open or started using it and found out it was something else. Um, so it's made a promise and it didn't deliver. Mm. And so I was, I didn't really want to end up over next to eat, pray, love, thank you very much, but I didn't want to end up, you know, into how to um, look more intelligent so your boss loves you either. So um, I was actually walking to the bus stop, playing with this problem, and and as, and we don't even want to go into the research, but you know, there's a reason that the best ideas come to us in the shower, or when we're rearranging a bookshelf, or when you're walking down the street to the next bus stop because the bus stop outside your building is closed. Uh, so I was walking down to the next bus stop, and I actually texted Jane, call me, because I didn't know for sure where she was. And, and she called me, and I said, anything you put your mind to. And that was one of, probably in the past two weeks, it had been five or six offers, and I said, this, this one's probably going to stick, but I still wouldn't tell anybody yet. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. And then, you know, you get to a certain place in production and you can't change it anyway, so you just live with it. I wish it was shorter, but I don't want to just call it anything. <laughs> Although, the idea to make the word anything um, really bigger than the rest of the title, you know, that was my idea, and um, I, I really think it does sort of hint at the flavor difference yeah put, it definitely puts an emphasis um and i i do love i love the cover i love the illustration was that um was that jackie jackie yeah. shelley who did yes um uh yeah J jackie put up with us a lot i had tried to ask too much of the cover illustration and then thought maybe we could use three iconic covers and then i asked her to do some some watercolor washes for the background, and um, and she did them. But uh, and and I had suggested the colors, so again it was like all my fault. Um, and she done some lovely and you know, 
grays and, and blues into a burgundy sort of light shades, but uh, we found that we found that it was um, looked too feminine, you know, and 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 you know, I'm mad enough that Craig Capitani said I run like a girl. I mean. I'm not going to have a feminine book cover. so We're already so boycotting I, needy pinks. Yeah. At the time, I was um, in Italy with my son, and and all I had was my iPad with me, so I took her watercolor into um, some other, you know, some other app and uh, started just moving the color ranges uh, on things to... You know, like use the watercolor, but but change the colors that we're reading. You know, like you might enhance a photograph. Um, not that I ever enhance a photograph, but you might. Um, and we did that, and I sent it to the um, to the designer, and I said, "Well, try this as the background." And he actually thought that I had gone and like downloaded, you know, a free background texture um, because he didn't recognize it as her watercolor. Um, and once he realized, you know, once we told him that it was our, uh, the same watercolor, just um, enhanced, then he could take what I did and, and make it actually look good. Um, and, you know, take the spirit of what I did and, and make it actually look good. And that's how we came to the cover. Got it. And now it looks like one of your sunrise photos. Yeah, it it does, and that's not lost. I mean, then the whole idea of uh, the moment in time um, when people are thinking they have a long way to go until it's morning again um, is also reflected in that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that gets revealed as you read that you can really see in this cover. So it um. It does what it says on the tin, as the Brits say. Oh. Have you heard that one before? No. Nope. There you go. This does what it says on the tin. So um, so once we do crack the pages, I, I really, I didn't get to talk to you about this before, and I really wanted to talk to you about the balance rule, um, which we encounter, you know, a few times throughout the book as it as it sort of gets revised. But the first time we see it is on on page eight, and it says, be curious about everything, don't overthink anything, Take an equal dose of color for every word you see, hear, or say. Try to think more about less. I feel like we could do probably five podcasts on this, but an equal dose of color for every word you see, hear, or say. How do you do that? How do you do that? You specifically, not generally. Well, different ways all my life. You know, like for 14 years from the time I was three till... um, I was in college, I had dance training, and, and then um, there's another long period of my life, uh, you know, in college when I was in theater, um, which um, involves a lot of that uh, creative aspect, though there are words in theater, um, it's not all words. Um, and then uh, there was another period in my life where it was gardening, and I, I think I, I make a reference in the book to, you know, the garden was so dry that you had to wet the dirt to even make dust. Um, and and fully engaging in gardening and other people, you know, it's, it's 
any of those sort of things. And when I got back here, it, it was, uh, you know, playing with my camera. Um, ironically, this week, um, someone I, I speak to quite often on Twitter um, brought up the fact that, that he's an artist and, and that taking photography in his mind is every bit an art form. And then he made a comment, you know, in our second round of conversation along the lines that uh, he has to do that because, um, you know, when he gets home from work, he has to paint. And, and I found the same thing when I was in publishing, that I had spent so much time dealing with words that I would either do beadwork or work in the garden or do something else. But I found the more I worked with color, the more it would refuel me, um, whether futzing with photographs in the wee early in the morning or, um, or not. Um, it, 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 I think it brings balance for allowing your right brain to be in charge for a while instead of uh, your left brain. Yeah, exactly. That was a, a, a bit of the lead that I buried is that the balance rule does talk about that equal diet between the right brain and the left brain. Um, I tend to live only in one side of my brain, as is apparent sometimes. Um, so, okay, so balancing the the other aspects so that you can maybe refuel to do what you do every day, I kind of get that. I don't get thinking more about less. And in fact, when I first read it, I convinced myself that it was think less about more <laughs> because I guess there's so much more coming at us every day. And it's always like, we need to process more. We need to do more. I much prefer the notion of thinking more about less. How did you come to that? Well, you know, there's an attitude and I like, I noticed this long before there was an internet, but the, the internet version of it is, I have to know what's going to be the next Twitter. I have to know what's going to be the next whatever. And um, no, you don't. You know, it's, I was on an airplane once long before there was an internet and there was a guy sitting next to me and he, he said he had just gotten a fax machine in his... Winnebago or whatever it was, and so now he could, you know, use his computer, he could use his phone, he could use his everything else, and he could even fax out of his computer, which is so hilarious in this day and age where nobody even uses a fax. But <laughs> I turned to him and I said, you know, I've been looking to get those things out of my life, less in my life, so I, I guess one of us is doing something wrong, <laughs> you know? Um, and and it's so uh, so much a, a sense of we have to keep up, you know, with whatever and whoever and and why, you know. I I would like to do less. I would like to have fewer apps on my phone. I, um, but the ones that work well, you know. And and the idea um, is you, they used to say if I can go to an event and meet three good people and and have three good ideas, that'll be great. Um, well, well, why not look at life? I, and I think deep down inside, we would be a lot happier if we looked for things that were easier, simpler, you know, faster and, and more meaningful. Um, and so if you spend 
more time, you know, with your kids or thinking about your kids, you know, and, and more time thinking about your dream or, or, or making your dream happen and, and less time trying to satisfy um, random needs and, and, and keeping up with every, you know, um, TV show that's being released on channels that aren't even TV channels and, and fe we, because when you try and do more and think more about more, what happens is you start to feel like less um, because you just can't keep up, um, you know, and, and one of the places that happens is on the Internet. You, you start to think of it as the conglomerate other person, everybody who's not me, and look at all the stuff that that, that <coughs> conglomerate is doing, and why am I not doing that much? And and we never stop to realize that any one individual in that conglomerate is probably only saying something great they did, you know, every year to six months. But because you're looking at the conglomerate, you hear about it every day and not even thinking about the fact that they're not talking about the things they dropped, you know, or, or the things that didn't go well for them. And so um, that, that whole issue of think more about less is, um, yeah, engage your brain, but go deeper on fewer ideas. Is there a hierarchy, do you think, in thinking more about less? That's kind of a, or is it just any subject? Like if I could spend the day thinking about my kids, do you think that would get me, is it a recipe I, I, for being happier or is it just a recipe for slowing down and? Um, a recipe for being happier. I think the only you can answer that question. I mean, you know, um, what do you, what do you want to think more about? Um, because the things we want are actually the things we need, you know. <laughs> we don't not want the things we need, and we don't not need the things we want, you know, um, because the very fact that we want them makes us pursue them, mm -hmm. which turns them into a need, you know. And I know people could argue with uh, de defining a need that way, but, you know, from inside us, it feels like a need, we want something it feels like a need it really does so I, I'm listening to you talk about your you know your background and I'm kind of holding Alice although she's you goes by different names I like to call her Alice I'm holding Alice up next to that and then I'm thinking about Larry and the dog and and the whimsy and the smart ass I've, I've heard you refer to your humor as you know very smart ass sense of humor and that that comes through with this book so we've got this book this parable that's fun to read but definitely a parable why do you think you went this way instead of going the memoir route because really you're all throughout this book oh my god <laughs> i couldn't stand to listen to me tell my life story why would anybody else want to um no no i don't even like the word memoir don't use my name and memoir in the same ew it's it's kind of Kind of gooey, you know, kind of girly. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood that was all boys, you know. A memoir, ooh, you know, no. A little too doily for you? N no, a little too girly for me. Yeah. 
A doily is old lady. You know, you don't know any girls today that even know what a doily is. Okay, a little too girly for you. Uh, but so, okay, so then let me ask this question in a way that doesn't elucidate the ew, although I have to say I love the ew. Um, I like the insight that the ew brings. Which character do you identify with most? Or do you oh, have a then. favorite? Do you have a favorite? Well, no, but I mean, you know, it's, it's, let's get back to the to the original, though. You know, at the end of the day, these are characters that are inside my head, and and that means they're they're me. Um, even when I, you know, sit back and get off this phone call and try and think about what Gigi was thinking when she asked that question, or what she thought of my answer. Um, <laughs> I'm not really thinking of what Gigi was thinking. I can pretend that I'm getting behind her eyes and looking at me, but at the end of the day, what I'm really doing is saying what I would be thinking if I were Gigi. You know, there's no way to not um, be talking about ourselves. You know, you can't get away from ourselves. I, I used to say that to people is, you know, the difference between you and me is you can walk away from me, but I have to live with me. Um, I have heard you say that. <laughs> and, and it, well, it's, it's a fact. And uh, what can I say? So I learned ways of uh, fitting into the rest of the world and having a role when part of that has to do with uh, the sense of humor. But, you know, the, the three characters, I mean, Alice is, uh, is sort of... Um, if you think about the voices inside your head, um, Alice would be the person that that we present to the world, you know, the person who goes to work and people think of us as in that respect. Um, Larry is sort of the more grown-up version, you know, if, if I were living up to my standards and my conscience and actually... Um, evaluating myself, you know, if I was my own manager at work, um, that's sort of who Larry is, the the big brother, dad, um, caring friend. Larry is the guy who tells the hard truth, um, but tells it gently. Um, Larry's a, a, a good leader, and, and, um, and the dog is... Um, you know, when you think you're about to snow your parents or yourself, um, the dog is the one that keeps you honest. Um, because though the dog doesn't talk, and I would never write a book that had a dog that talked unless it was for somebody under the age of nine, um, the dog does communicate very well in the way that he sidles over or places his head in her lap or or gives her, gives her a, a make-it-clear sort of look. Um, uh, and so she's actually interpreting the dog's behavior, but it's the same way everybody else would interpret it as well. And it's like, oh, Larry, you know, oh, oh Alice, who do you think you're kidding? Um, and, and we all have those voices in our head, you know, that, that there's a part of us going, I wonder if I'm getting away with this, you know? I'm I'm not nervous at all right now. I wonder if anybody can tell. There are times when we um, tend to our bru bruises in the way that 
that Larry deals with Alice. Um, uh, hopefully we've had somebody um, in our life who's, who's taught us how to talk to ourselves in that way. And I think Larry is the, the uh, who, who we want to grow up to be. Um, but, you know, he's, he, he, there's a lot of self-actualization, uh, you know, in, in Larry. So he's, you know, if you're, if you're a self-actualizing person, you never actually get there. Because self-actualizing is all about becoming, becoming the best you can be. So once you reach the best you can be, you're no longer self-actualizing. You're just self, you know? Yeah, it's true. It's, they, they just sort of remind me of the best friends that I wish that I had and maybe would have to create if I didn't actually have them. Well, yeah, an editor um, that I have never met or had any contact with at all who who did a lot of work for um, an agent um, who who liked the book a great deal but also you know was at the yoke of write the business book first because I can sell that faster the agent you know said something about the book that it's um, it's almost mystical and she said I'll tell you what I'll send it out to one of my editors and the first sentence the editor uh, wrote was you know to the effect of, you know, there's a lot of, of genius in this book, but, um, you know, I feel like I've just um, spent my time with a, a really close best friend, you know. And ironically, when I first started writing my writing blog, that was my goal, was to write, you know, uh, the equivalent of a best friend in a book. Only I was doing it on the blog, you know, and so, so wearing the dog is is sort of a, a best friend in a book kind of book. It's it's the kind of book that that um, I think people will go back to um, to find things that are said, you know, um, either to remember why they liked it or to share it with somebody else. Um, yeah, I've got so many passages earmarked with names written in the margins of who to tell it to. It's crazy. So what's the thing that comes to your mind first um, after the balance rule? Thinking about thinking about not thinking about anything if I've gotten that right. That and I and I love the verbal volleyball um, from the party scene. That uh, there's a the scene Lone with the Lone Ranger. Um, yeah. Because I've been, I was in a situation at a party with, and a friend of mine described the conversation that I was having with somebody as watching, um, watching two sharks circle each other. So it wasn't quite verbal volleyball, but it reminded me of it. So I wrote her name in the margin and, and said, maybe, you know, with yeah. a. Tell her, tell her that she should change from the shark image to. To the volleyball. I found the volleyball a lot kinder. It's much kinder. It's much kinder. Um, And those are the ones I come back to. But I guess in the thread that that sticks with me is, you know, I know this dog's a a Weimaraner, but when I think of the dog, I think of the fact that his caramel-colored eyes and that he always seems to manage to communicate to me um, as, as a reader through his caramel colored eyes, what's going on. And I just, I don't know, that touches a special place for me, maybe because I have two dogs and they look at me less knowingly, but still communicatively. I just, I, I loved, I loved that that was brought forth 
in a character that this dog is a character who doesn't talk but his presence is there and he manages to get it across well you know i mean if you think about the voices in your head Mm -hmm. uh, some of them don't use words i mean some of them are just feelings Mm. Um, and sort of the dog can sort of fill in that role i know that lots of times uh, the way i formulate ideas um uh, most of my ideas start with feelings that take me a little while to get to words to describe what I'm thinking about. Um, you know, it sort of goes like from a feeling to a color and a sense of uh, the grander idea. Um, you know, like I met a guy and his dog is the first words that this book had and then it sort of moved on from there until you start running but the other thing though that I found about the characters that's really true is you know this wasn't a book and I think you would be able to tell if it was um, this wasn't a book that I sat down and and plotted that oh yeah in chapter four we'll have a party and in chapters seven or nine we'll be we'll go to Millennium Park and this will happen and and then um, that story will come out in chapter 18 or whatever. I sat down to write a chapter and wrote a chapter, and, and then the next night I sat down to write the next chapter and wrote that chapter, and, and it was just totally true to um, the characters. Uh, you know, like, what would she do next? Mm-hmm. If this happened and what happened, you know, oh, so she's going to the party. What's going to happen at the party? Well, and like one of my favorite scenes in the book is when all of these people dressed in costumes, ludicrous costumes like the Cowardly Lion, and get on the dance floor and do the scene from Dirty mm-hmm. Dancing, you know. Uh, but but one yeah. of the reasons that I really like it is uh, because of, how it wasn't just about the scene, uh, dirty dancing, but um, the way that I described it from, you know, the uh, feet being glued to the floor. Okay, so so this paragraph, and, and this will tell you too, even as a writer, uh, sometimes people miss the fact that one of the most powerful um, sentences in all of writing is only four words to be or not to be and so you know so many people when they're first starting to write want to sound intelligent so they write you know 51 word sentences Mm -hmm. and man over 20 words and I start bringing out a gun to blast it apart but um, this paragraph doesn't have any sentence I think that was longer than six words you know, the dance was romantic, the room was electric, the mood was magnetic, the crowd was eccentric, the effect was mesmerizing, I had made it to Wonderland. And, I mean, that's, like, filled with the music of the language, and it's just kind of fun to read. It is fun to read, and, and I think the effect of those short sentences, it, like, builds, right? It's It just it moves so fast in your brain, it's like... Uh... I have that paragraph circled, actually. I was kind of hoping you were going to talk about that. I love I'd made it to Wonderland. 
Well, yeah, especially since I was at that moment dressed as the character of Alice, yeah. So I know you to be somebody who's sort of rooted in um in the here and now, but I, I need to know, I need to know, Liz, what's next for you? You know, this, this accomplishment is, is here and this book is here and people are going to pick it up. What's next? Well, you know, what's next from a personal as well as a business point of view has to do with uh, aligning a couple of factors. Um, one is what I kind of want to do, you know, and there's several things in that realm, um, you know, and, and that, of course, would include something that I'm good at as opposed to something I'm not good at because I really don't like people watching me learn. And then the other is from a a serving the audience point of view, but also just an intelligent business point of view, uh, what people would expect to be next and how that fits together with what I want to do. And uh, one of the things I noticed um, in talking about just the fact that I have a book is that so many people um, who have come to know me in recent years um, like, well, I should back up and say, when I first went on Twitter, uh, people who knew me on Twitter knew me because of my blog. Mm-hmm. And then there came a time when, when they changed the algorithm on Twitter because the mainstream was more coming in. Um, and it became more that the people knew my blog because of Twitter. But now that the mainstream is all over the internet and and is thinking more about more instead of more about less, um, they're not even reading blogs in the same way that they used to read blogs, um, which I I think is kind of sad because we've lost the connectivity that came from that. Um, But so now people know me on Twitter because they know me on Twitter. And, and that being the case, they almost automatically assume that um, if I'm writing a book, uh, because most of my content in recent years on Twitter has been either a combination of things I've written on my blog and the sunrise photos, or just the sunrise photos. There are just so many people who only know me because of the sunrise photos that... Um, when we started talking about this book, there were people assuming it was going to be filled with sunrise photos. And I found myself saying to people, you know, there are no photos in this book. (laughs) And so, um, well, Larry and the dog, um, I I was very careful not to uh, end the story in a way that meant that Larry and the dog couldn't come back because... um, I think that they're so compelling and so natural to everybody's mind that uh, um, the idea of them uh, um, uh, coming back to Alice at another point in her life seems uh, appealing in many ways, and I think people may want to see more of Larry and the dog. I mean, I think they could live without more of Alice, maybe, but if she comes is the only way that you get Larry and the dog to put up with her. I'm not saying there won't be another book of this kind. Ways to apply this this book in real life are, are on the 
forefront, we've certainly, I mean, even before this book fully existed, we talked about how I would like to finish this book and, uh, and turn it into a retreat uh, where we could go and, you know, have like an, uh, what do you want to call, an, a, 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 a book club times 10 to the 23rd power, you know, and figure out how to, how to listen to the voices in our own heads uh, with a small group of people on, you know, the beach out of the Hotel Dell in, in Coronado Island, uh, you know. Oh, okay. I, I really hope you do that. Sign me yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds that amazing. I said that aloud in your presence. Right? You know, uh, pulling it together. And uh, there was a woman named jo- Joan Anderson who, uh, somewhere around the year 2000, let's say, uh, um, left her husband for a year and went to live on Cape Cod and eventually, you know, went back to her husband but wrote a book about her year on Cape Cod living alone and then turned it into um, women's retreats um, to go sit with her and her book. And, and I thought, gee, that's, like, awesome. But uh, the only thing is I, I wouldn't want this to be just women because... I like men, um, and always have, you know. And I think this book isn't, this is a person book. This isn't a, you know, a women's book, a men's book. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, more like Richard Bach's illusions. Talk to me about that, because I'm not as as cool as you are to know what that means. He's not writing about himself. He's writing about this guy he meets who who never has to clean the windshield on his airplane and and seems to be able to make wrenches float in the air and and can can walk not only walk on water but turn land into water and water into land kind of thing and 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 the guy keeps saying to him illusions, Richard illusions. All of life is just illusions, um, and so it's that's what I think of um, with uh, sort of the the kind of out of the side of your mouth humor uh, of heartbreaking work of staggering genius, um, which I just love that title. <laughs> you know, yeah, that one and and Michael Port's book "Book Yourself Solid" are two of the best book titles ever written. I don't know that one. Now I've got another book to read. There you go. There you go. Uh, well, I I look forward to what's next, whether it's uh, sunrise photos or a retreat or that and hopefully many more things. Um, thank you for talking to me again this week. I look forward to the next time we are together. I look forward to what's next myself. Yeah, won't it be great when you find out? <laughs> yeah, it will. It might take a couple of tries to find out. That's okay. Sometimes that's when the best thing happens, and you just have to keep trying. Right. So, shall we put our minds to it? Oh, yes, we should put our minds to it. Thank you for reminding me. I'm lagging in my duties. Um, Anything you put your mind to it, what request or suggests that we put our minds to this week? I think that um, uh, I'm going to go with the obvious this time and and say the balance rule. that um, sometime this week when, when you're feeling like you have too much to do and you're living under a, a great deal of stress, 
um, to take five minutes uh, to not think about um, the words and, and what is stressing you, but to just go off in your mind and, and go on vacation um, among pine trees or at the top of Kilimanjaro, whatever um, is, is going to feel good. Go, go zen sailing in your mind and, and, and let that refuel you so that you can go back to what you do with uh, more life and more energy. I am totally going to take you up on that. Thank you for that one. That's a good one. So until next time, Liz, thanks again, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Keeping Curious, featuring Liz Strauss and Jane Boyd, is a product of Genius Shared and Genius Shared Press, produced by Genius Shared, hosted and edited by Gigi Peterkin. To learn more about Genius Shared products, including the Keeping Curious podcast, visit Successful-Blog.com.